welcome to the Better Spearfishing Podcast, where we talk all things spearfishing. If you want to improve your spearfishing and hear some wild stories, you've come to the right place. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Better Spearfishing Podcast. Thanks for dropping in. So in this episode, I thought I would um, do something that may be a bit contentious, but um, anyway, I thought I would do it just because it's it's an interesting topic. And what it is, is it's sharing all of the wild stories I've heard over the years in of what basically what's happened, what's gone, things that have gone wrong on dive trips or on, um, yeah, when people have been out diving. And um, look, some of these are quite hectic. And look, I should say straight up, I these are this is what I have heard. I don't know if this is true or not. It I may have mangled up some of the facts that some of these are stories I've heard from someone who who had a friend who knew someone whose third cousin was a friend of the you know those kind of stories. So maybe they're all nonsense. But anyway, I think they're still valuable to share because. Whether they're true or not, we can all learn something from uh, from these stories. We can all take something away. So, okay, I'll, I'll start on what I think was one of the most hectic stories I've ever heard. And um, what it was, two, two guys, very experienced divers, and they, they wanted to go out diving. But on that day, they couldn't, their skipper couldn't join them. And so what, what they did is... They need. They really were desperate. They wanted to get out for the dive um, uh, with their boat, and so they went and just found someone, some person who actually, you know, was free that day. But you know, not a not a boater, not a diver, just some person um, who was keen to help. And so they they gave him a I guess a crash course in how to use a boat and how to how to move around and you know maneuver with it, and just explained how it was all going to work. And um, yep. Yeah, anyway, then they launched and they went out to their dive spot. And so they were diving and, you know, this guy was, was there in the boat watching them and they'd catch a fish and put it on the boat and, you know, then wave and you'd pick them up and, and you know, they're drift diving. So where there's a little bit of current and, and you then get taken to the top of the leaf and you drift down again. Anyway, so this sounded like that was all working fine. And then what happened is, you know, it starts getting late in the day, uh, maybe dark, who knows, light in, in you know, when, when the sun gets a bit low over the ocean, it's quite hard to see when you're looking into the sun. Um, and anyway, the, the bottom, the end, the end result was this, the guy on the boat lost them. He couldn't find them. And... Of course, he doesn't know, you know, this is not his, uh, something he knows what to do. So he, he just rushed straight back to the shore um, in the boat and, you know, obviously alerted the uh, marine rescue, the sea gods. But the guys in the ocean now, they really just didn't have an option. They dropped their fish and, you know, possibly weight belts or, you know, anything that you don't need to carry and just started swimming towards the lighthouse or, or whatever light source they could see. And, um, you know, by now it's dark. And by some miracle, the people in the marine rescue understood, you know, they, they had enough knowledge about how the ocean currents worked in that area. They thought, okay, where are these guys likely to try to swim towards? What what are they going to aim at? You know, how fast is the current going to move them? And they worked all this out and, and basically triangulated where these guys would probably be at this point. 
and based on their swimming speed and, you know, all of these factors. I mean, quite amazing, really. And they launched out and they went and actually found these guys in, you know, in the middle of the night. Um, so, you know, I just think that's an incredible story of, um, well, really of, of luck and, uh, and, and the competency of the marine rescue. And, uh, you know, this, this is why I think if you have a boat or if you, if you go and dive, you really do want to um, support your local marine rescue. In many places in the world, it's, uh, you don't have a choice. It's, it's mandatory. But in some places, uh, it's not. So I'm thinking in Queensland, in Australia, um, you don't, by law, have to uh, be a member. But um, if you're living there and diving there, I think it's a, you know, it's a very worthwhile thing because like in this story, these are the guys who are going to come and save you if, um, if you need to be saved. So, um, yeah, amazing story. And um, look, again, I just give the disclaimer. I don't know these people. I heard the story through, you know, through the grapevine years and years ago. Maybe through there's probably a lot of facts that I've mangled. I might have uh, missed some stuff. But anyway, this is what I remember of what I heard. And, and I just thought it was an incredible story. Um, another story of uh, some guys going out in a, in a boat way off um, northern Australia somewhere, you know, way off the coast. And I, I actually met one of the guys who was, who was there. So I, I did hear this firsthand. Um, and he, he said he was diving away from the boat. And then he looked at the boat and it, he's, you know, just to keep his bearings on where he was. And um, in, in a lot of Australia, uh, they don't leave a someone on the boat. So you'll often anchor up in a spot with low current and everyone will get off the boat and dive. And that's that seems perfectly fine. And um, look, it seems to work fine, um, obviously in an area without current. And so anyway, he, he noticed the boats were starting to sit at a bit of an angle and thinking, oh, that doesn't look that right. So he actually went up back to the boat and um, it was filling up with water. And look, I don't know all the details, but basically the boat sank. And now they're miles offshore, so they, they grabbed the emergency equipment. In um, in Australia, you have what's called an EPIRB. In, in fact, in many parts of the world, you'll, you'll have this in many, uh, I guess, more developed countries. And what it is, it's an electronic beacon. It's basically the, it's, uh, it's hard, it's probably 30 centimeters tall, maybe, maybe a bit under, and it's like a big, chunky, you know, if you imagine old, old cell phones from the 70s or 80s, that kind of size or or sort of the handheld military style radio, it's something like that. So, um, but what it does, when you turn it on, it puts out an electronic beacon and it, it's linked to your boat and uh, registered to you and, and that alerts the marine rescue. So anyway, they did this and the helicopter had to fly out and, you know, they don't have any way of communicating now. Everything's gone down with the boat. Um, and their marine search and rescue helicopter came out and um, and saved them, picked them up. Um, and uh, look, I, as I remember it, I think they were actually all treading water, you know, just floating their treading water in the middle of the ocean with, um, you know, whatever sort of visible aids they could have. And uh, yeah, they got saved. So, you know, in- incredible story. I mean... You certainly don't want to be in that situation. But um, okay, here I'll, okay, this is, look, this is a story I heard. This is actually quite sad. I'm just going to gonna preface it with saying this This story did not end happily for, um, well, for almost anybody. In fact, it didn't. Four guys out diving off a boat and all in the water together or something like that and deepish water with current. The first guy is deep. And 
Anyway, he blacks out. The next guy sees that his buddy black out and so he dives to go and save his buddy. So he grabs him, I think he was deep, and now he starts pulling him up. And he's struggling. And now, you know, now the third guy's watching these two struggling. And the second guy now blacks out, trying to save the first guy who's already blacked out. Now the third guy's there and two of his mates have now blacked out underwater. So he dives and he tries to grab both of them and bring them to the surface. And it's just too much. And he blacks out. And look, again, this this is all, you know, it might be urban legend. I do not know these people. I um. This is just a story I remember hearing. But the fourth guy now realizes that, you know, if he tries to do anything, he's going to just die as well. And, um, you know, what's the point in, you know, there's no need to sacrifice your life, you know, pointlessly if you can't actually save someone. Um, and so he realizes this. And so he can't do anything. And um, he loses three of his dive buddies within the space of, you know, a minute or two. Um, and they all just, you know, sink away into the abyss and he gets on the boat by himself and has to go back and he's lost everyone on board. Um, I mean, I just, I can't think of anything worse. I, I, I think that would be so, such a painful thing. So look, this, you know, this is a hectic, hectic thing. I, I, I think that's probably the worst uh, um, story I've ever heard. Um, but look, it is something I've heard and, you know, it's possible. So yeah. I, anyway, and I, again, I cannot vouch for how, how accurate any of that is. That's just what I had heard. So, okay. Let me talk about something that um, that I can vouch for, which was something that happened to me. So this was diving off Indonesia with, uh, with a highly experienced uh, friend of mine. And we were diving for big dog tooth tuna. As anyone who's dived in Indonesia will tell you, the currents are unbelievable it's a you know in in certain spots because it's a chain of islands and what happens is you've got it's a couple of thousand meters deep on each side of um these islands on but then between the islands you know the 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 ground actually does come up even though you know it's underwater it's probably only 100 200 meters deep but on the other sides it's thousands of meters deep so what that means is when the current turns or when the tide turns you get you know water from 3000 meters all trying to squish over this little gap of 200 meters over the top of a you know the the rocks or i guess the the mountain chain between the islands and what that means is you get incredible currents um but now of course with all that current fish like current that's uh, there's a lot of food in current so we were diving on a little pinnacle that, that came up and it just broke the surface at um, at low tide. Um, I think at high tide, yeah, it, it was sort of breaking over it. Um, but you could get in behind this and, and there was a bit of an eddy. And, you know, that's where we were diving. We were doing drift dives. We had a, had a local jukung, which is the, the little Indonesian fishing boat with two outriggers, one on each side, and a little, I think, 10 horsepower um, motor at the back and... Um, you know, a, a, a fantastic skipper um, who would pick us up and drop us off up current again, and, and we were drifting. And I was using a 30-meter float line, um, one of the ones with a with a coating, so it was a big, strong float line with a huge float and a, and a big spear gun. Um, and anyway, I dived over, and what happens when the water, in certain spots in Indonesia, 
when the water goes over a pinnacle, because it it's sort of it's come up so sharply and then it drops down so sharply on the on the um, on the down current side, the water kind of it gets sucked down. So it goes over the top of this rock and then it gets pulled down. So what that means is the current is not just pushing you along sideways; it's pulling you down under. And so I was underwater and suddenly I got, you know, I'd obviously floated over one of these drop-offs, um, at, you know, 10 or 20 meters or whatever it was. And I just got sucked all the way to the bottom um, of a 30 meter float line. So I'm holding my gun and now my float line goes straight up. Um, my float at the top now, if you've, they call it tombstoning, where your float is actually sticking straight up in the air. Um, and you're hanging on at the, you know, normally it's a fish that's doing this, but in this case, it was me. I was the, um, you know, the thing at the end of the float line and I couldn't swim up. Um, this current was so strong. I So I swam and I realized I had to pull myself up my own float line. So I just left the gun and just pull, hauled myself up the float line from 30 meters. And um, I mean, you know, the disclaimer is I survived. So um, <laughs> uh, here I am. But it was a very close thing. I got to the surface, and um, you, you know, I everything was 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 blurry, and I definitely felt, um, you know, things started to go a little bit dark. And you know, I've experienced that in training. So I kept my face out the water, and you know, hung onto the float, and just you know, put you know, just kept my face out, and just thought, just breathe, 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 and you know, keep. And also, this is the way depth training and, and having experienced these, uh, you know, this physiological situation in training when you're pushing yourself in a controlled environment, um, you know, that's really what saved me. Um, and, yeah, you know, again, in, in these spots, of course, you dive with a dive buddy, but when there's that much current, it's uh, it's actually very difficult to dive with a dive buddy. Um, and, you know, again, on, on me, this, you know, knowing what I know now and being a bit older and um, hopefully smarter, uh, there's no way I would get in that water. Um, it was like a raging ocean, uh, sorry, a raging, you know, a, a flooding river going around this, um, this rock. That, you know, so it's, it's very dangerous diving. Um, and, you know, many people have been lost uh, doing this sort of diving. And, um, you know, you always think it can't happen to you. And um, I guess I just got very, very lucky. Um, so really grateful to be here and um, here, be here to tell the tale. Um, look, I'll give I'll give an example again. This is another one that happened to me, and this was recently. Um, I was out here in Cape Town at the beginning of the year, and I haven't lived here for quite a while. So you know the conditions are you know you have to relearn a lot, and it was a beautiful calm day. Very little wind, very little swell. It was lovely. The water was clean. It, it was, you know, it was magical. And I had launched at a place called Mass Bay. So it's it's near Cape Hunclip. For all the um, Cape Town divers, I'm sure they know where that is. It's basically Cape Town. There's a big bay, False Bay. It's on one of the points on not the main point where everyone knows the, you know, Cape Point. It's the other side of the bay, but the point there. And um, look, lovely. It's it's a lot less sort of imposing than uh, than the Cape Town side. It's it's actually just small cliffs, uh, but they go into the water. And, you know, it's a rocky sort of shoreline, um, and you've got kelp all around there. And look, lovely diving. But so I launched near the the boat ramp and, and then paddled around the point, and was diving there shallow water. You know, probably I think the deepest dive I did of the day was about ten meters, so not deep at all. Um, 
lots, you know, it was nice and fishy. It was great. But then I noticed that it was kind of hazy down, you know, far out to sea. And, you know, there was, it, look, it was an overcast day. There was cloud, but it was calm. And so I just thought, oh, okay, I'll keep an eye on that. That, you know, it looks a bit hazy out there, but, you know, it was fine where I was. I could see the mountain, you know, you've got huge mountains all around you. And, you know, as, as Lefland's points, I mean, you can't get lost. Um, and, you know, I was only probably 200 meters off the shore at this point. And then while I was, so I'm diving, diving, and then I look up to keep an eye on the, on the, where the kayak is. I put my head up and I suddenly think, hang on, what's going on? That visibility is dropping. And so I swam back to the kite, got on. And what it was, it was a sea fog that had just quietly rolled in very sort of, you know, so quickly as well. Um, you know, faster. It seemed like it was going faster than the actual wind. It was almost, yeah, it almost wasn't being pushed by the wind. It was sort of like a like a dense fog that just kind of went out by itself. And... So this happened, and as this happened, I, I I suddenly looked towards the fog, and the visibility was zero, and I knew I was going to lose visibility. So I looked toward, and now even the shore was looking hazy, and I knew that there's no way I can now paddle that all the way back around this rocky point. You know, I mean, what if I crash into the rocks there? That, you know, and and there's waves breaking, and and um, and also, you know, because it's overcast, that you can't really see the sun. So uh, you don't really know um, where the land is uh, as this fog starts rolling in. So even though I wasn't far, I couldn't actually see where the land was. So what I, I, I knew I was going to lose visibility. I took a bearing on where the sun was. So and again, this you couldn't see the sun. It was just, you know, that's lighter in that part of the sky. So, OK, that's the sun is somewhere there. And what I did is I... I could see about, you know, as this thing was rolling in, I could see around me and I just paid very close attention to the swell. Where, Which way were the, was the swell going? Even though it was very low, I paid very careful attention to how it was going. And I, I worked out, okay, if the, my kite going this way, I need the swell to be hitting the side of the kite at this exact angle to be going where I want to go. So I also looked quickly towards the land and, you know, it's a rocky shoreline, but there was a little sandy beach that I could get go and uh, pull up on. Now, there's rocks between me and the beach and there's big kelp beds. And of course, you have waves breaking there. So you don't want to just paddle in and then get, you know, the kayak flips in the middle of the kelp or you, or you crash into a rock and now you're bash, being bashed on rocks. So you don't want that. So... And again, this is as it's getting hazy. I looked back and I thought, okay, I need to paddle about 200 meters on this bearing to get around all of these locks. And then it looks like if I turned to this angle so that the swell is, you know, behind me. And again, you're working out, okay, it needs to be behind me at about that angle. And then it, from here, it looks like there's a clean run straight into the beach. And, um, you know, and, and so I start paddling and um, the fog keeps rolling in and then the visibility went right down, maybe maybe 10 to 20 meters. So it's very disorientating when you, you know, you're not far from the ocean, from the shore, but you actually cannot see anything. Um, and it, yeah, it's quite terrifying, really. Um, but, you know, I, I guess I was I prepared myself. I knew that was what was coming in potentially. And so I started paddling on the line that I'd worked out and I just made very careful I could see the the bits of kelp as I was going past, and that gave me a rough indication of the speed and the distance that I was going at. So I just started counting. I, I quickly worked out, okay, I need to cover 200 meters. 
this is this how long I've, it's taking me to go about 10 meters. So I quickly, I stopped and I just worked out, okay, I need to count slowly to this thing, you know, to this number and just keep the same pace so that I can estimate how long it's going to take me to cover this distance. So I covered the distance, you know, and again, paying attention to which angle the swell's at. Now, of course, you know, it is cold water, so you, you normally want to leave your hood on, but I took my hood off. So my wetsuit hood off, uh, you know, just lulled it down and, you know, made sure there was no water in my ears. And I did that specifically so I could hear where the waves were breaking. You could hear the waves breaking on the shore and you could obviously hear waves breaking on uh, on big locks. And now the trick to this, I'm going to just keep my voice at the same volume now, but I'm going to slowly turn my head to the left away from the microphone. So I'm all the way to the left now, and now I'm coming back towards the microphone. I'm talking at the same volume. I'm facing the microphone. Now I'm turning to the right, talking at the same volume. Now I'm facing directly away from the microphone, talking at the same volume, and now I'm coming back. And so I think what you, sh you will have noticed on that is the, the sound, um, it basically goes up and down depending on... Uh, you know, the strength of, of the signal. In this case, it's coming to the microphone. But what you can do to work out sound is turn your head to the left and the right, as I just did. And what happens is your brain can then triangulate where the sound is coming from much easier. And in this case, I was using it above the, uh, above the water to hear the waves. But you can do the same thing in the water if you can hear leaf. You can turn your head from side to side and you can work out, okay, this is where I think the leaf is. And that's a fantastic way to actually find good leaf while you're swimming. Anyway, so back to the story. I uh, I got there and then, you know, made my turn and I was roughly in the right spot. You know, I started going and there was a few, you know, locks and I had to sort of, you know, go around them. But anyway, I got to the beach and got out. Um, but this obviously wasn't where I had uh, intended to get out. There, there was no track down to this beach, there was just scrub and um, and sand dunes and little scrubby bushes. And so I had to walk back to the car, which was probably two kilometers. And um, in this area, um, unfortunately, there is a lot of poaching. So there are, you, you basically get uh, two or three cars um, will lock up quickly and you'll have 20 people get out with scuba tanks and uh, wetsuits and um, they'll, they go and they hop in the water and they just go and uh, they, they're taking a perlimon or uh, in, in Australia they would call them abalone, in New Zealand they call them power, um, I forget, yeah I think people know them as abalone and um, highly valuable resource um, but it's because of all this poaching it's uh, you know it's illegal and so now um, I'm walking there and, and the ranger comes and apprehends me and says, what are you doing? And, you know, I'm walking around in a wetsuit trudging through the, the, the scrub. And um, look, I, I think he realized pretty quickly that I legitimately was not a Perlman poacher. And um, he kindly gave me a lift back to the car. I got my little kayak trolley, walked back out. And now I had to grab the kayak and drag it through all these uh, sand dunes. And it was an absolute mission. There was like a little, you know, foot track through through heavy sand up the steep sandy track. And, you know, you're not meant to be taking a kayak there. And, and it's heavy. Um, yeah, and it's a big fiberglass kayak. And now I've, I don't have a trolley that's ideal for sand. So I was digging into the sand and there's sticks. And I'm having, oh, it was an absolute nightmare. 
But anyway, eventually I got it onto a little stony path and then I, I walked back and, and got back and um, there were the poachers, you know, hopping in and out of their vans and, you know, me just sort of quietly walking past and they look at you and you sort of look the other way and like, I'm, I didn't see anything here, don't, you know. And then they realize, okay, he doesn't, you know, this guy's not creating problems and um, so they leave you alone. That's hopefully, that's the ideal scenario, really. And uh, anyway, so so that all worked. So, um Look, I guess the the point of this, obviously, it's uh, to share some amusing stories. And, and again, I will just say, I don't know the people apart from me in these stories that I've shared. So if I've got it wrong, you know, please understand, I, this is not about pointing names and, think, you know, naming people and uh, criticizing. It's not that. This is just sharing stories of what can happen, what can go wrong, so that we can all hopefully learn from them and be prepared. And the takeaway from this, well, I think the takeaway I would like you to all take away is you need to consider what might go wrong. So when you go out diving, you are doing something that is dangerous and you need to think about what are you going to do if certain things happen. So I'll give a few quick examples. What are you going to do if someone loses a limb? Or, or they get cut really bad, badly and now they're bleeding out. You have to stop bleeding. So on a when you're diving, you have uh, you have float line, you have real line. You can use that to wrap around to, to constrict blood flow. You can take the weights off your weight belt and you can wrap your weight belt, especially if you have a rubber weight belt, which um which is probably the the standard for for uh, flea diving or spearfishing. Um, you can wrap that around and use that as a constriction bandage. So uh, things like that, you know, um, if the if the vessel sinks, do you know, have you triangulated where you're going to go? Do you have a plan to get out if something goes wrong? What if the motor goes down? You know, OK, do you have a radio? OK, if what if the radio is broken? What's the next plan? Um, so anyway, it's just you need to think about these things and think about what could go wrong. How are you going to solve it? And then think about what if that doesn't work? You need to have a couple of options. I would say, you know, you need a backup plan and a backup to your backup plan. And, uh, you know, you don't need to do to work this out for every single dive that you go on. But you do this if, you know, if you have a boat or, or something, you work this stuff out. And then um, every time you go out, it's it's just standard operating procedure. And what I've found useful is occasionally uh, just testing it. So just seeing, OK, you know, does my backup plan, would it actually work? You know, just take your, your weights off your weight belt and see, okay, can I wrap that around? You know, what if it's my arm that gets cut? Can I actually wrap myself up with this to stop bleeding? You know, if I had to, if I was the only one, you know, around or I got back to the boat and no one had seen what had happened or, or something. Um, so look, this, this is not to scare anyone. Um, you know, it's most of the time you, you're never going to have, have any of these issues. But when something goes wrong, it goes wrong, it can go wrong spectacularly. And this is where just being prepared, being calm, having just thought through it, maybe having done a few drills on this, um, and having friends and, and dive buddies that are calm and collected. Uh, th- this is really what, uh, yeah, this is what saves you in, in a pinch. And um, yeah, so anyway, that uh, I hope it was amusing for you all. I, I know I, it's, yeah, some some good fun stories, some not so fun, but um, yeah, I hope we all learn something and, and get to share. Okay, take care. Bye.